As I said before, we are in Advent season, and again, Advent means, or, oh man, you guys were much better in the first row, you got tired all of a sudden, I guess. Advent means coming or arriving, and we've been going on for a few weeks now, and we've talked about themes of hope and, and love and joy, and today is the theme of peace. As I was thinking about and praying about what the Lord would want us to hear from His Word today, the book of Galatians came to my heart and my mind, specifically in chapter 4, a little bit of chapter 3 and in chapter 4. Let me give you some background real quick on the the letter to uh, the church in Galatia. The Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, writing this letter to some churches that are in this area of modern-day Turkey. If you've ever uh, been to Turkey, or we may have someone here from Turkey perhaps, but if you've ever been there, um, there, is, there were a lot of churches in that area, and the Apostle Paul was writing to them. Here's what happened, though. There were, there were those who came to faith in that part of the world, and then some other people were coming through, and they started to tell them, oh, wait, 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 yeah, we know that you've heard that you have to trust in Jesus uh, to be saved, but there's also some work that you need to do. So yeah, 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 you might be saved by grace, yeah, kind of, but you actually need to do works as well to be saved. This is what was being told to the church that was there. And so the Apostle Paul says, "Mm, not so much. And so he wrote this letter to make sure that they understood that salvation comes by grace alone. That's it, no works. In, at the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, he talks about something that's related to the Christmas season. And so I want to talk about it. And at the top of your notes, you'll see that I said, what difference does it make that Jesus was even born? What difference does it make? Like, why are we, why are we celebrating Christmas? Why, why do Christians celebrate Christmas? And so I want to try to answer that question uh, today. You'll see that we do things like we give gifts. Some of you are like, is that for me? No. (laughs) It's from our house, so it's going back to our house. (laughs) But we give gifts. Why do we give gifts? Well, Christmas is a celebration of the greatest gift ever, Jesus being given to us. So in, in light of that, we give gifts. We also have wreaths. Why? Why do we do that? Well, as Christianity spread around the world, there were things in other cultures that when these people became Christians, they, well, they, they wanted to still celebrate things, and so they had to figure out how they were going to celebrate things. There's nothing about wreaths in particular in the Bible, but different cultures celebrate different things. And so anytime we see something that comes in our lives as Christians, we always have to decide, is this something that we can receive? Is this, is this something like a wreath? Is that something that we can just receive and use as Christians, or is there some meaning to it that we can't? Do we need to reject it? So do we, can we receive that? The meaning of that, do we have to reject it because it's wrong? Or can we redeem it? Can we take the same symbols and change them some so we can still celebrate, especially in our different cultures? Well, at the time, Christians would have been uh, coming to faith and they still wanted to celebrate. And so they would take these wreaths and instead of whatever the meanings were in the past, they would change those to remind them of the everlasting life, this kind of green that would be there even in the deep parts of winter, this ongoing thing. It reminds Christians in this circular shape here, that our life is ongoing. Our life is eternal. And even though we die in this life, we live forever, forever because of Jesus. So when you see wreaths, that's part of what we're doing. You see Christmas trees all around. 
Why do we have Christmas trees? What? We just do that? Again, the same idea. Those trees live in the deep part of winter, ongoing. But then we also put lights on them. Why do we do that? Well, part of what we discuss in our family is there was a, a theologian named Martin Luther, and one day, as the story goes, he was walking through the, the forest late at night, and he was looking through the trees, and he saw the stars through the trees. He said, wow. And he thought of one of the Psalms and how glorious that looked and how great God is that he created all the stars. And so he ran home, and he got some candles, and they had a tree, and he tried to put the candles on the tree so it would look like what he saw outside. So... What do we do? We put lights on the tree to remind us of the glory of God. We also put decorations on there. And again, different, uh, different people will tell you different reasons, but at least in our family, the reason we do those decorations, well, back in the, the days before, they would have put fruit on the trees. And it would have been to remind them, one, of the story of Genesis, of the forbidden fruit that they weren't supposed to eat from, that they did, and so we don't want to take that one. But also, there's something in the New Testament called the fruit of the Spirit. And for those who are Christians, followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, and part of the fruit of the Spirit comes out in our lives. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Peace is in there. So we will hang those as a reminder. A lot of times you'll see a star at the top of a tree. Reminding us, perhaps, of when the wise men would follow the star to go worship the king. We have a nativity scene. Joseph and Mary. If you'll notice, you can't see from in the back, there's no baby Jesus. Why not? It isn't Christmas yet. <laughs> He's not there. You've got to come back on Christmas if you want to see Jesus. The other side, hey, this is just a little side note. Whenever you see these nativity scenes and you see the three, three wise men or the three kings, they're not supposed to be there. So I give you permission. When somebody has one of these set up, you can go to them and be like, hey, that's not right. Those guys don't come for a little while later. And we don't even know that there were three. Three gifts were given, so they have three, but we don't know. We won't go. We won't go. That's a side note. Somebody's like in the back, they think this is real. They're like, that's the best candy cane ever. This is not real. Do not eat it. Candy cane. What do we do with it? Well, for our family, we understand that it kind of looks like a what? A shepherd's staff. You know, Jesus is known as the good shepherd. He's our shepherd. Also, if you flip it over, which way do we write like that? What is that? J? Whose name starts with a J? Oh, Jesus! Oh, so it's more than just a minty treat. White and red. Red, because the Bible teaches that his blood shed for us is what cleanses us. When you suck on a candy cane and it gets really sharp and then you poke your lip, oh, that hurts. More blood flows, but that's not the point. When you suck on a candy cane, the red goes away and what's left? What color? White. He makes us white as snow. There are more that I could point out about our holiday season. If you are a follower of Jesus and you don't know some of these things, let me encourage you. We can give you some resources so that way as you're celebrating, you're not just giving gifts, although we want to give gifts, that's fun, but there's a point to all these different things that we're doing. And so the question is, is Jesus really worth all this? What difference does it make that Jesus was born? Let's look in the Bible now at Galatians. We're actually going to start in chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, beginning in verse 28, and we're going to go through verse 7 of chapter 4 today. Again, the Apostle Paul writing here, 
He's been explaining to the church there, don't listen to these false teachers. You are not saved by your works. You're saved by faith in Christ. It's the grace of God that saves us. Beginning in verse 28 of chapter 3 of Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Just so you know real quick, that means there, there's no different, in Christ, there's no different ethnicities. We're all one. Jew, there's no Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the purpose. For the last few weeks, we've been going through the law in the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, and talking about the story there and talking about how it points to Jesus. We went through the prophets, and I tried to show you where the different prophets point to Jesus. And the writings, the Psalms, where all the Old Testament points to Jesus. This here is saying that if you are in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, then you're part of Abraham's offspring, even if you're not Jewish, even though well, some would point back that he's the beginning of the Jewish line. Why is that? Well, the promise is to Abraham, but the promise ultimately is to Christ. And so everyone who believes in Jesus is part of the promise to Abraham. And the promise to Abraham is that the Lord will bless all the nations through Christ. Anyone, any nation, any tongue, any tribe who trust in Christ are saved. So that's what he's saying here. Listen, you're not saved by your works. If you're in Christ, you're part of the promise that God has made to Abraham and to all who believe like Abraham did. Into verse 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. What's he talking about here? Well, at this time, let's say you were going to inherit everything from your family, but if you were too young to be able to do that, you were not able to inherit things yet. You had to wait. So what he's actually tying this to is saying that Jewish people, they had to wait for the Messiah to come. They were under a guardian or a manager until Jesus would come. In the same way, verse 3, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This would be for the Jewish people in the Old Testament trying to obey the law which they could not obey, or even us, we try to obey, we try to do what's morally good, and the problem is we fail. Let me prove it to you. Show of hands, how many of you have ever told a lie? If you do not raise your hand, you are a liar right now. <laughs> that was easy. That was just one of the Ten Commandments. I don't even have to go any further. We don't have to. Right there, we see that we are all sinners. What we see in James chapter 2, this is a little further in your notes, but I do want to point it out now. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13 he says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, look at this, this is why I'm pointing it out now, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. How many liars did we have in here? Oh yeah, everybody? So we're guilty of breaking all of God's law. If you're guilty of breaking all of God's law, guess what? You are not able to be with him forever. Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. 
If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Friends, we want mercy. Amen? Amen. If we were to get justice from God, if it was justice, every one of us would be in hell for eternity. That's what's fair. Don't look at God and be like, I want what's fair. No, you do not. You want mercy. And he offers it through Jesus. Back to our Galatians verse. Switch back over to the front notes there. This is verse 4, and this is the, the verse I was thinking of that I really wanted to tie to Christmas. So, verse 4 of chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let me break down a few things for you there. Fullness of time. This means that Jesus came at the perfect time. Exactly the way God planned it. And if you read the Old Testament, you see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy pointing to when Jesus would come, where He would be born. You heard as we were singing, you remember... Bethlehem, you hear different aspects of prophecies and songs. He came at the perfect time. When the world was just right, Jesus came. Next part it says, though, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This gets a little challenging here. Jesus is the most unique person in history, he is the only God man. He's the God-man. Jesus is fully God and fully man, or you could say truly God and truly man. He existed as God the Son eternal. Part of what the Scriptures teach is God is three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the one in essence expressed in three persons. It is a bit challenging to understand. And if you understand it completely, please meet with me afterwards and explain it to me. But here's the thing. I do not want to worship a God I can understand completely. That wouldn't make any sense. He would cease to be God if you could understand him completely. What's amazing is that through the scriptures, he has made himself known at least partially now to us to where we can understand some things about him, just not everything about him. So Jesus existing as the eternal son, and here's what happens. Fully divine, he takes on, he adds humanity. He takes on human flesh to come and be born of a woman. But he doesn't have a dad like we have. How many of you have heard of the virgin birth? Virgin birth. The virgin birth is that the Holy Spirit of God put Jesus in Mary's womb. Why is that important? Well, that's extremely important because everybody who has an earthly father traces all the way back to Adam you, have, you are guilty under Adam because Adam first sinned. And so you have a sinful nature. If Jesus was born like that, guess what he would have? Sinful nature. See, we are sinners by nature and by choice. We're not sinners because we sin. We are sinners, so then we sin. That's what happens to us. But Jesus, perfect, 
as Brother Tom mentioned earlier. Born of a virgin so he doesn't have the sinful nature and he lives the perfect life we should have lived. He is the God-man, which is remarkable that God would love us enough to send his son to pursue us because we were hopeless. That's what Christmas is about. He says, I love you and I'm coming for you. Because he lives the life that we couldn't live. And he dies the death that we should have died. But death cannot hold him. Why? Because he's perfect. Death comes for those who are not perfect. And so, for us, apart from Jesus, we are certainly dead physically, but dead spiritually and dead eternally. So he says here, Paul's writing, but when the fullness of time had come, the perfect timing, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. So we see both right there that he is fully God and fully man. Now the next part. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions, receive adoption as sons. Let me break some of that down for you. So Jesus comes and he's born under the law, the same law that we live under. God's moral law. Just those Ten Commandments that we talked about. He's born there and lives that perfect life. But why does he do it? It says there, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. How many of you guys have heard before that we're all God's children? Yeah, that's not biblical. We are all God's creation. That's true. We are all made in the image of God. That's true. But we are all also enemies of God until we trust in Jesus. See, what happens is you trust in Jesus and then you get adopted into the family. So then you are part of the family. Look what Paul continues to say here. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And trusting in Christ, this amazing thing happens is you get a new heart and He sends His Spirit to come and live inside of you and seal you. That means you belong to Him. You are marked by God. And you have His Spirit inside of you. So that, as verse 6 says, from your heart you can cry, Abba, Father. Man, what is Christmas about? It's about coming to save you and adopt you into God's family. So it ends with verse 7 in this section saying, so you are no longer a slave. A slave, slave to what? A slave to sin. A slave to the sinful nature. You're no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if a son, then an heir through God. Look on the back of your notes there. About midway of the second page there, Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Listen to what it means to be adopted into God's family. Listen to this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for, good, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, 
which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. There's that same idea again. To unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on the earth. Every spiritual blessing belongs to you, Christian. Can you imagine that? Think about that for a moment. If you are in Christ, Christian, you've trusted in Christ, you receive the Spirit of God to live inside of you, you have a new heart, your mind is being renewed, you are forgiven. How many of you have a hard time forgiving people? Mm. See, the challenge is, the, for the Christian, we, we must forgive others. Why? Because if you understand the forgiveness of God towards you, then you have to forgive other people. The sin that we commit against a holy God, no way could I hold something over Ralph. No way. So we have to forgive others, and this great forgiveness is offered to us. But you know what's interesting about that? Is in Jesus' coming, not only does he come so that we can be forgiven, not only does he die so that we can be forgiven, not only does he rise from the dead so we can be forgiven, but here's what happens. It gets wiped clean like that candy cane. And not only are you forgiven, which we can understand to some degree, but he also says this, it's as if you've never even done it. All the sin you've committed, he says, not guilty, because all of that is taken off of you and given over to Jesus. He comes and takes all of your sin, and then he gives you his righteousness, the fact that he was perfect, is perfect, lived that perfect life. He gives that to you, and it's a transfer. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. What is Christmas all about? Oh my gosh. Christmas is everything. It's the beginning of his coming. It's him coming to redeem us. It is the only way that we can be saved. Every other religion that exists in the world today, every religion will tell you that you have to do a certain amount of works or things to be saved. It is man-made. It's man-centered. We have to do these things so that we could be saved. The miracle of the gospel. What does gospel mean, congregation? One more time, gospel, what does it mean? Good news. The good news of the Christian message is that Jesus came and did what you couldn't do. He comes to us because we can't get to him unless he comes and saves us. Amen? Amen. What difference does it make that Jesus was born? Everything. It is the only way for us to have peace with God. The wrath of God is on us for our sin, but Jesus takes it. So when you trust in him, you can have peace with God. You have to have peace with God first before you can actually have peace with other people. Every time you see, I don't know for the, those of you who are visiting from other countries, we have Miss America pageants. I don't know if you have Miss whatever country you're from pageants. But I think there's a Miss Universe pageant. A lot of times when they interview them, they say, what is it that you would like to see in the world today? Generally, the answer is world peace. World peace. It will not exist apart from Jesus. I promise you that. You can look around and see we definitely do not have world peace. But he is the prince of peace and he is bringing that. The only way for us to have peace in our marriages, in our relationships, in our families with other people is to experience the peace of God and then you can have peace with others. Part of having that peace with God is that you have peace in your own soul. How many of you, if you could just say, hey, for Christmas, I just want peace. Oh, man. What's crazy, though, as we heard before, 
It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's part of God's work inside of you. And what Jesus says, I'm going to give you this peace, and guess what? I don't give it the same way the world gives it, to where it's contingent on making sure everything goes right in your life, and then you have peace. Here's what Jesus says. I give you peace, and nothing can take that from you. I don't give it the same way the world gives. So let me encourage you. If you do not know him, if you do not, if you're not trusted in Christ, you will not have peace with God, you will not have peace with others, and you will not have peace in your soul. Christian, if you're here, remember, keep your eyes on him. If you want to have peace this holiday season, remember the gospel, remember the good news. Get back to your first love and remember that you have been saved by God. He has come this Christmas to save you. And we look forward to a second coming. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your peace. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We're thankful that you're holy, just. God, we're thankful that you would send Jesus at the perfect time to come and be born of the virgin, to live that sinless life that we could not live, Lord, to die that death on the cross, shedding his blood as a sacrifice in our place for our sins. And Lord, have how after three days he rose, defeating sin, Satan, and death forever. So Lord, help us to remember that. For those who are here and hearing this for the first time, help us to believe in that. Because Lord, we know it's the only way through the blood of Jesus that we can have peace with you and peace with others. Lord, we thank you and we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.